What's going on, everybody? It's another episode, the third episode of Make America Debate Again. I'm here with Phoenix Goodman. Is that correct? Yep. Got it. Phoenix Goodman. I have a, a friend who does political analysis. I haven't met him in real life, but H.A. Goodman. So now I was like, Phoenix Goodman, good man. There's a message there. But we're here to talk about Public Bank LA, and he actually has a plan and a movement to basically take the bank of Los Angeles and make it public and I guess run by the city as opposed to federally or the Federal Reserve. Is that correct? Uh, well, what it is is it is the city of Los Angeles and every other municipality and state, for that matter, takes tax dollars and other types of revenue, and that has to circulate through a banking system. Uh, and it's actually the private banks on Wall Street that typically pick up those contracts. They're also the the banks that provide the loans for the infrastructure projects that the cities require which then use our taxpayer dollars to pay the fees and interest on. So we want to create a bank that does that service uh, so that way the fees and interest can get recirculated back into the city. How do you think the Federal Reserve feels about that? Uh, It's interesting. Uh, You know, the way that this can unfold is many. Um, Likely what would actually happen is in order for this to function, it would receive a Federal Reserve account number. However... However, uh, because it's a public bank at the end of the day, uh, the owners of this bank would not be private profiteers. So it would still be a game changer at the end of the day. Uh, So how are you going to pull it off and explain to people how it would be more beneficial? Because I know a lot of people, this is a bipartisan issue that if people stop fighting about like little stuff, you might make some leeway on. But I know a lot of people are very sketched out by you know the federal reserve the irs and the fact of like you know we're 20 trillion dollars in debt and somehow they have money to do all these wars but they don't ever have money to do fixed roads or education and stuff like that so right yeah it's definitely bipartisan uh there's people on the right and left and anything from socialists to libertarians actually have have uh voice support for this Uh, the reason why is because I'll, I'll take a step back and, and just tell you from my personal experience. I know probably you know a lot of your audience as well has done a lot of research online and realized the pernicious aspects of the banking system, and that really is the core of a lot of the problems that exist in our society. Because if you look at all the things that uh, we don't want uh, in our in our world, the wars, uh, you know, in many cases people don't like the oil pipelines or private prisons. These all require funding, right? So where does that funding come from? Banking is the heart of the entire economy, right? Because you have the heartbeat, that's the source of the money. When they make loans, they create that money through fractional reserve lending. And then that determines where the economy, you know, how, how the energy in the economy flows, what direction. Because the private banks have one uh, thing on uh, as their goal, and that is to maximize profits every quarter, they don't have any... Uh, compunction, you know, and any no moral guidelines on which way that money should go. And that's exactly why anybody that's more or less awakened, having done the research on how the world works, will see that banking is really the source of these things. So, so how would the public get, how would the public bank change that? Right. So, the, so how the bu- public bank changes that is we look at banking not as something to be cynical about uh, and to say, well, that's just how it is and, and just accept it, but to realize that this is power. Power in and of itself is neither good nor evil. It's power. Whose hands it's in is what determines whether it's good or evil. So we want to take that power of banking 
and put it into a system that is publicly accountable, transparent, uh, chartered to serve the community, chartered to be ethical in its investment guidelines. And this bank can provide financing for things that society needs, the infrastructure projects we need, uh, the you know green energy uh, investments, et cetera. But at the other end of the spectrum, to, to starve funding from the things we don't want to fund in, have, barring it from investing in uh, weapons manufacturers, oil pipelines, private prisons, et cetera. What do you think about the Federal Reserve now? I know there's some talk going around as far as Trump is kind of uh, at odds with them over raising the interest rates. How do you feel about interest rates and how would Public Bank LA, would that change that at all? Or what, is it kind of outside yeah. of that? You know, it's a little bit outside of that, right? Because you're talking about macro central banking policy. In my personal opinion, I think that that was, and you know, I'm not speaking on behalf of Public Bank LA, but me myself, I think that uh, probably that contention with the Federal Reserve is hedging his bets because when the next economic crash happens, you know, 2008 part two, by demonizing the Federal Reserve, he can then can create cover for himself to say, well, look, it's the Federal Reserve that did that, which might or might not be true, but I think that that's the political reason to do that. Um, because ultimately the next the next big crash will have to happen. Um, now, this actually takes banking, what we want to do in, 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 from the, the, the public uh, side of banking, which already exists in, in the United States in North Dakota, and that's at a state level. They've existed for 100 years, um, and they weathered the 2008 crisis very well, actually, unlike their private counterparts, right? The reason why is because unlike Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, Chase Citibank, they're not taking people's deposits and then speculating on these ex extremely complex derivatives, playing casino with the market, and then creating this massive leverage that then collapses on itself, only to be bailed out by the public sector anyways. What they did is they, they create prudent investments in small businesses, in student loans, in agriculture, things that are part of the real economy, not the financialized economy of just of speculation. We want to take that concept that's at the state level, bring that down to the local level, and then now you have local determination of the city determining its own local economy. And then you're just unplugging from that whole macro game, and you're, you're, you're creating a fundamentally sound banking system at the local level. Yeah, absolutely. So do you think the Federal Reserve does a good job now? And how do you think they kind of got control of the whole U.S.? Because I know on your, your site in the brochure that you sent me, you had, I believe, a Thomas Jefferson quote who basically was like, don't let the United States get taken over by bankers. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of, it's really creepy in hindsight, a lot of the founding fathers had a lot of wisdom and knowledge that doesn't seem to be very prevalent in today's society where they were kind yeah. of predicting everything that happened as far as politicians, corporations, and banks. So how do you think they got power? Why do you think they got power? And do you think that's the first step is to make everywhere kind of break away on a local level? Yeah, I believe that that's the solution, right? Because uh, go right around 08, 09, I, I can tell you from personal experience, waking up online, watching all the YouTube videos, watching shows that just like yours, right? Starting to wake up to how the bank. Oh, you froze a little. Hold on. I think they froze you out, brother. Hold on one second. Uh, you're, you're, 
your uh, feed for us a little bit. It was a solution that was really on the table at that Sorry, time. Sorry, start over your feed for us a little bit. Oh, I was saying after 2008 when the market crashed and people realized that our banking system is untenable. And then in 2011, when both the left and the right in the form, in the form of socialists and libertarians were, were marching saying that they didn't like the way that the system was run with the banks, um, people didn't really have the solution, right? And I think that public banking was actually the big elephant in the room that people needed, but the narrative just wasn't mature enough at that point yet, the consciousness for public banking. This is actually not that new. You mentioned Jefferson. There's been, in, in, in my view, I think there's been three major uh, banking uh, uh, battles in the United States. There was the Jefferson-Hamilton uh, dichotomy. What, we, what ended up winning out is Hamilton's vision. What we're fighting for is Jefferson's vision. He did not like the idea of the public sector borrowing from the private sector because he thought that that would be a way for private profiteers to swindle, uh, you know, the uh, the general funds, right? So you, that's that's exactly what we face in LA, for example, uh, or that we're trying to fix, and where everybody faces is that they take a loan out for infrastructure, right? Well, when you pay a loan back over thirty years at interest, you pay back sometimes up to fifty percent of the initial cost. Well, where does that come from? You're paying taxes, right? Your taxes then pay back interest for the bank fees. And that's just paying a middleman when we don't need that middleman. If we just did it ourselves, then we would recycle that fund. And that's actually the type of system that Jefferson was fighting for, for the ability of, of, of state and local governments to mint their own money to loan to themselves so that they wouldn't be beholden to the, to the private interests. And then you had the bank wars with, uh, with Jackson, uh, a few generations later, we had the creation of the Federal Reserve. And I believe that now in this next era coming up over the next few years is going to be the next banking renaissance that's going to bring public banking to the world. Yeah, there's definitely a lot going on. There's a lot of people like yourself. There's a cryptocurrency throwing a little curveball into the mix and a lot of people starting to mobilize worldwide. I think populism is on the rise and the elite establishment is having a real tough time time gaining power over people's minds via media. And also just uh, structurally, I think they're losing and that's part of the reason for the division. Yes, things are going on people don't agree with, but I, I think a lot of, you know, for, for lack of a better term, witches are melting. You know, a lot of the people are like, ah, so they have to make a big deal as the people gain power. On that note, I have to say with California, I, I agree with the strategy of starting to look into the banking system, why we have a whole reserve system that kind of plays off debt and you know, extracts billions and then all of a sudden, you know, creates crashes basically through their strategy. But I guess a concern or something that maybe the advocate, devil's advocate might say is, um, what about the politicians of like California being corrupt? How are we going to keep them accountable? Because right. I already don't trust them. <laughs> That's a, that, that is the best uh, concern, in my opinion. I have the same concern, right? Here's the difference, though, between proponents and opponents of this who have this same concern. The opponents of, that, uh, of this who have that concern will say, well, I don't trust the politicians, so keep it in Wall Street. <laughs> because what? We trust, we trust the CEOs on Wall Street to, to be beholden to the public good, to, to serve the duty to the public good? No, default status quo is guaranteed that. Now, whereas there's a few paths public banking can take. It could go the path of corrupt politicians controlling it in the wrong way, which we would be completely against, but it could also go the path of actually designing this the right way. However, 
it is idealism, not cynicism, that made every revolution succeed. It's idealism, not cynicism, that will take us to the next era of a greater enlightened type of economy. Cynicism will guarantee the status quo. So what we want to do is create a banking system that is not only public, but it's a specific type of public bank. It needs to, just like a form of constitutionality for checks and balances, it, the bank needs to have constitutionality where you have uh, checks and balances within the banking structure to have, on the one hand, professional bankers with resumes to make it merit-based on who they hire so that they can actually manage the bank wisely, bring the bank profits, but then, oh, but then an, a board of directors that includes members of the community to provide that public oversight. I think the charter should have a clause in it that guarantees 100% transparency, that has a mission statement uh, to have it serve the local community to, to for sound local investment. So if you actually construct the ideal bank, then that, that ideal bank will be public, but also all the other things I said. Think of it like we have a whiteboard mm -hmm. and we're starting from scratch. And if you could create the ideal bank, what would that look like? And that's the challenge we want to bring to ourselves. And every city in the United States has that whiteboard. If they just have the will to do it, they can create their own banks. And then because you have a lot of different cities doing it, kind of like the federal system, it's the laboratory, right? Maybe one city figures out certain systems that are better, better than the other. Maybe we'll create the first bank. Maybe San Francisco or San Diego will create another bank. And then they'll figure some things out a little bit better than ours. And then we can all hone and refine each other. So you develop that, that aspect of competition, which keeps the bank sharp. Totally. And uh, I'll agree with you on a lot. I have two questions that come to mind. I guess I'll start slow rather than ask two at once. But uh, I like that idea of bringing it back to the state. I think even with things that I might not agree with, I find that the federal government, not even just with, say, the Federal Reserve, where they take control of the whole banking system, but a lot of things they use, things that pull on our heartstring, whether it be women, children, and say, no, 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 we got to, you know, gay marriage. That's cool. Okay, so we'll make the whole country do it. That's great to me because I've always supported it. But I see that they're kind of using that to gain more power. And that's just one example. But other ways, like, okay, even Roe versus Wade, we have to do it everywhere. I'm not, a, I'm not huge on that. I just stay out of that debate because I don't have a big opinion either way. And I know both sides are very, very, very passionate. So I kind of stay out of that one. But I see how they've used that. Same with maybe some would say the Patriot Act. You know, we got to stop terrorists. Yeah, for sure. Now we're going to track everyone. Oh, okay. So I find that the states are losing power. And that was not even the strictest, starchest constitutionalists, I think, would agree to bring the power back to the states as opposed to on a national level, because we're seeing now what happens when a small group of people has a lot of power, they become control freaks. And even Twitter, Google, and YouTube, you know, they think they're the, they're the portrayers of fake news, and they're going to stop all the bad news, but they're supporting a lot of it. And I find that they're the biggest threat to left and right-wing journalists that I like. It's, it's not even the president, as they'd say. He might talk a lot of game. But it's these tech companies that they, they're like control freaks. So I'm all for giving power back to the states. I think a bank is a, the first step to maybe break away. On that note, I want to say, you know, you think that Trump is calling out the Federal Reserve to hedge his bets if the economy crashes. And I'm not ruling that, that that's a possibility out. It, it surely is. But do you think he's right in the sense or do you think that it's true that the Federal Reserve kind of dictates over it? Because, you know, people are comparing interest rates to Obama's. Uh, which were which were lower and which were different where doesn't the Federal Reserve don't they have so much power that they can pretty much just tank an economy or you know yeah. manipulate it at, at free will 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the and by the way, when I say that, I'm not saying that that is my absolute. That's what no, I. No, no, that's it's, it's a possibility. It's a possibility that I that I believe is likely the case. It could be wrong, right? But um, yeah, you know, the official purpose of of central banks is is to keep inflation low, employment high, and then to prevent you know booms and busts, which apparently history history has shown isn't isn't exactly effective um, or hasn't been. And, and uh, uh, to, get to, be, to be charitable and to be not as charitable, maybe it's uh, they you know, will purposely uh, allow busts to happen uh, for more pernicious conspiratorial purposes, right? Um, but if you look at the actual fundamentals of, of where the economy is as a whole, after the 2008 crisis, I mean, I believe that the writing's all over the wall that 2008 was the definitive moment where the paradigm shift could have happened. But rather than any paradigm shifting uh, changes having happened, what happened was is just a resuscitation of the zombie to allow the same paradigm to continue. Mm-hmm. Right um, now, what happened was is after two thousand and eight, when the market was in a free fall, all the banks got bailed out with our ta- public taxpayer dollars. So, mind you, this whole idea that they're going to do things more efficient because they're private—that's not true because it actually took public insurance, our pa- taxpayer dollars, to perpetuate that system. Mm-hmm. But that said. Um, you know, the, the bailouts plus the quantitative easing, uh, pumped the economy quite a bit. Then they raised or they lowered interest rates to almost nothing. Right now, what will happen is, is when the economy heats up, they'll, they'll raise interest rates a bit though. When it, when it crashes, they'll lower it. And that's kind of the game they played it to stabilize the economy. But what has happened is, is that if you compare the bubble today compared to 2008, right? In 2008, the Dow Jones all-time high was 14,000. Right now, uh, it peaked at 27. It's about 25,000 as of right now, a lot higher than it ever was. In 2008, the last stock market crisis was 2001 when the dot-com bust happened, seven years prior to that. Now it's 2018. It's been over a decade, and we've, we've, I believe, broken a record for the longest bull market. So not only do you have the highest market in history, you have the longest bull market in history, but the, here's the difference. The national debt back then was $10 trillion. Now it's over $21 trillion. We're adding about $1.5 trillion a year. That's, a, that's obviously unsustainable. And then you have the interest rate that's already so low that when the next bust happens, anybody that says it, it won't happen is naive because the, there are boom busts inherent in the system. A bust will happen. They don't have room to lower interest rates anymore. So if anything, raising the interest rates a little bit now might be thinking ahead so they have more room to lower it later to help you know, provide a little fuel. But, mm. but now, I think that we're trapped in the biggest bubble of all time, and what's likely to occur is probably a high inflation as a result of that and a, and a, and a significant decrease in the value of the dollar because of the debt being so high managing this crisis. Yeah, I hear you. I'm, I'm glad I had you on because I, you know, people see certain videos and put a lot of words into my mouth, and I'm responsible for what I say, but not what people think I say. And, you know, I, I've always said I think Trump is underrated and overhated, but I don't really get into too much economic stuff. Like I'll be like, wow, there's not, you know, a lot of jobs. That's great. Unemployment load. That's good. But when it comes to the economy, I I feel what you're saying. And I think I I know a lot of libertarian leading people that, that know that the whole system's based on debt, a a boom comes, a bus comes, and it might be unavoidable no matter, you know, I'm, I'm under the line of thinking of no matter how good Trump does, I don't know that it's even possible to stop a a bus from happening because the whole system's based on debt and based on bankers and politicians who've been manipulating us for decades. So I'm definitely, I mean, 
the, I'm never excited for a, a big bust and hopefully we can somehow avoid it. But, you know, with the media and, and so much negativity now, like there's going to be even worse times. And if they're acting this way during the best times, I'm a little nervous, so to speak, of how they're going to act when that happens, because you're going to have a lot of blame, a lot of negativity. Uh, hopefully we, we get out of that. But I, I feel what you're saying. I think this whole system needs to be taken a look at. On that note, I want to ask you about, you were saying it's a blank state for the state. You're starting in LA and in California because that's where you're from, but you're saying it's a model that every state could use. And when you were talking, any city and state can use, you were talking about renewable energy and, uh, you know, stopping pipelines and stuff like that, where I'm torn and I'm, I'm going to give the floor over to you in a second, but I'm very pro-environmental. I think we've been sitting on clean and uh, super like Nikola Tesla energy for a long time that we've let go to waste and we've kind of just not been innovative. Luckily, there's people like Elon, other people starting to roll the ball on that again. But uh, I guess what confuses me about LA is that they, they do all this stuff, but a lot of these policies and ideals never really work out. They got a lot of, uh, you know, poverty and bad education. And it, sometimes what sounds good in theory ends up kind of backfiring. So I'm going to ask you two right. questions on that. It's like, is that the only thing Los Angeles is, is going to do with that extra money or are you open to other things? And two, if another state or city does it, like you said, they have the option to do whatever they want with the extra money and whatever they want with the extra power? Yeah, good question. Um, so where do I start? Okay, so when it comes to what the bank will do, in the very beginning, it would do what what the private banks are already doing for the city. For something, it doesn't even have to be ambitious projects in the very beginning, just you know, conservative projects like whatever general infrastructure pro uh, loans the city might take for whatever, right? A bridge, a school, right? Basic stuff. The only difference is, is rather than paying the initial cost plus the interest on that infrastructure, we save the interest on that and that becomes profit for the city that, to reinvest. So, so how, no do, how do you save it? Because I know you're saying it saves because it's like a, okay. cutting out so, the middleman. How does that happen? Okay. So the city wants to build, say, a bridge, right? Just as a random example. So there's a, there's X amount of cost uh, to build that bridge built in and they take a 30 year loan out uh, to finance it. Well, over 30 years, they're going to pay back the initial cost of that bridge, but then you have the interest rate on top of that, right? This is the debt based system of interest that, that, you know, we're all aware about. So that interest then adds to the overall cost of the bridge and over 30 years, it can, it can be up to 50% the original cost that the taxpayers end up paying the Wall Street firm. And then that Wall Street firm makes money off the public sector by doing that because, of, because they make money off that bond interest. Now, the public, now scenario B, the public bank of Los Angeles provides that same loan. Same loan, right? So we'll pay back that interest, but that profit goes into the public bank of Los Angeles's profit. So, so, what, so it, it loaned it to itself in effect. And, okay. then, and, and then the profits of that bank can then be used as as capital to to finance further loans okay so uh, not only that but if there's enough profit then they could take a portion of that and actually deposit it into the general fund every year which is what they do in north dakota they have profits of 18 percent a year on average in north dakota the, the bank of north dakota and every year they put in uh, tens of millions of dollars if not more into the uh, north dakota general fund and so la can do that too after that if they want to just answer your question, if they want to do more ambitious projects, yeah. like 
Green energy to me, I, I think the idea of even seeing it as a right-left ideological divide is just a, is, is, is a moot to me. To me, it's, it's, there's a finite amount of resources, and then there's, there's an infinite, or practically infinite amount of resource in the sky that we can draw from. It just makes sense logically, economically, whether you're right or left. That just, it's just logic, in my opinion. Uh, Germany, for example, has a very high rate of, of uh, solar uh, uh, installations per capita. They have a, one of the highest green energy uh, infrastructure rates in, in the entire uh, world, actually, per capita. And most of their green energy infrastructure was financed by their public banks, uh, which is called Sparkhausen. Forty percent of their banks are regional public banks. And Germany has a very thriving economy with that system. Yeah, no, I, I agree that green energy should definitely be on both sides. And the more I dive into both sides, I'm starting to see that it is popular when put in, in the right place. I guess the, the counter argument for that would be, because I'm, I'm totally pro-green, but if you dial back before these you know things are available and you don't, say, do the math as far as like, to me, it's like, yeah, let's go totally solar. But economically, you know, it could cost millions of jobs if not done quickly or done the right way or done like someone like Elon Musk. Like, why was he the first one to do solar cars? Well, he he even says himself, a lot of people like Nikola Tesla. He says he likes Edison more because Edison actually developed the idea. And I find that when it comes to green energy, I mean, although I'm not a huge Edison fan per se, uh, it takes not only the idea and the technology, but the the economics and the behind it where you know, for instance, California tries to do a lot of green things, which we need. I think the air quality is not that great out here. We have a long way to go. But it doesn't always translate towards the, their economy and towards, like, saying homelessness and stuff. So, you know what? Here, here's the beautiful thing about public banking, right? Is unlike other types of social policies where you need to tax and then spend and then the outcomes you might have unintended consequences and all the other concerns about that type of thing. With public banking, you're actually not really meddling in that, in that way. What you're really doing is you're providing competitive financing to simply make the loans for these things cheaper, which make them more economically viable and therefore more likely to proliferate in the form it or, that already exists. So you, for example, want to take a loan to install solar panels or a business wants to take a loan to install solar panels. Well, if the public bank, because they decide, well, we need more solar panels, provides uh, uh, financing that is a better rate than what the private banks are providing, willing to take a little bit less of a profit to do so, but but in order to you know create this this uh, infrastructure, then you're going to be more likely to take that loan out. So it's just it just it just playing with the economy in a way where you're not really uh, over uh, overextending things for unintended consequences, but you're just making things you need you know more competitive. Yeah, I would love to see that in California because one, the tax rate's very high, and two, we have the highest small business rate. You know, for a, a city and or state that touts itself on the poor and working class, they sure make it very, very hard to start a small business. And I think that's not a good strategy. I think it came out in the papers, the LA Times this week, that we lost the most jobs out of anyone to China because although, of course, I want corporations to pay fair share and we do need the taxes. I like your idea of getting it from other sources because when we take it from the people, in theory, it sounds good, but it usually just drives people out of the state or country because, I mean, even me, I'm, I, I, got, I got to start a small business within the next three months and I'm debating about leaving, you know, California because I'm like, you know, this is thousands of extra dollars a year I'm going to have to pay for something I don't need to be here. 
on that note, I want to say, how did North Dakota pull it off? Like, how did yeah. they get up? And then I also want to ask you, who's supporting Public Bank LA, politician-wise or celebrity-wise, and who's your biggest resistance? I'm curious. Good, good question. In North Dakota, it started by a group called the Nonpartisan League. It was during the Progressive Era in 1919, and it was actually it was nonpartisan because it was not meant to be a left-right thing. It was meant wow. to be a North Dakota thing, right? Because what was happening is the small farmers were getting gouged by the banks at that time. And there was a big, I, I recommend looking up the, you know, the, the story. It's, it's interesting because what happened is, is this group came together, created the nonpartisan league, campaigned to create a public bank of North Dakota, and then they also created a public mill uh, to support their agriculture industry. And the, the thing is, is, is obviously North Dakota is very agriculture oriented. So the Bank of North Dakota reflecting its local constituency is very agriculture oriented. And one of the board members is actually the head of, of agriculture in that state. And this is why they are, they give loans, you know, for a lot of the loans are for ag their agriculture industry. Um, in Los Angeles though, or in anywhere that, you know, that, that would uh, strive to create a public bank, uh, every location has unique economies, right? So the banks should reflect the unique needs of each constituency. It's agriculture in North Dakota. It's not going to be agriculture in LA. And that's the, beautiful, the beauty of local public banking is that local determination. Um, I just want to make one quick point. I'll answer your second question. Um, the, the, the firms on Wall Street do not have anything in their charter that is explicitly defined to help specific communities other than maybe throwing a bone for the PR <laughs> so that they look like they're kind of doing something good to cover up for all the other crimes that they're guilty of. Right. Totally. But, in, but for a public bank, if you create a charter where you not only create ethical and environmental boundaries, there's something in, in, um, in uh, economics uh, called a triple bottom line business. And triple bottom line basically means uh, that it's an accounting term that, that you account for, for gains and losses, just like any other type of accounting, but you also take into, consider, uh, into consideration social and environmental standards. So you do try to make a profit, but just not at the expense of the common good. As long as it's within the common good, make all the profit you want. That's the idea. Uh, and then we want it to, uh, to be constructed to develop the local economy. So I believe in helping the small businesses, right? So if, you, so if the bank can extend loans through community banks and through credit unions the way, and without competing with them the way that it works in North Dakota, then you can create more opportunities for loans to be given out at competitive rates two small business owners that want to start the businesses, right? And this way, you can actually spur local economic development through a bank that's constructed to do exactly that by definition. Mm -hmm. right? um, now, you asked about the Bank of North Dakota. Or no, yeah, the Bank of uh, LA, your movement, who's supporting it, oh, right. politician-wise, and who's resisting you the hardest? Okay, so the only resistance that we've gotten officially is from the American Bankers Association. That's the number one big group. That's surprising. <laughs> I'm, I'm right. floored. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, who's for it? I mean, uh, unions. Uh, you know, uh, a, a lot of different activist organizations. All of City Council unanimous, uh, unanimous, unanimously voted for this. Um, it's being championed by Council President Herb Weston in Los Angeles. Um, Democratic clubs, the the uh, California Democratic Party end, uh, endorsed it. 
but as far as official opposition, just the American Bankers Association, as far as we've seen. Have any big politicians co-signed it or just mentioned it? Uh, Kevin DeLeon, who's running against um, um, or run, running for Senate against Feinstein in California, uh, okay. publicly endorsed it. He's probably the biggest one that's endorsed it. And then there's a variety of different council members across uh, various cities in, in the L.A. County as well. That, that have does he consider himself, a, I mean, I know he's running Democrat. Does he consider himself more progressive left or, or is he just, because I know it's, to me, it's split into two. There's a lot of uh, classic Democrats who call themselves progressives because that was a classic term. And then you have like the new wave, Bernie Sanders, maybe Young Turks, Jimmy Dore style progressive. Yeah, I'd say Kevin DeLeon is probably in the latter is in the latter category relative to at least relative to Feinstein. Who's yeah, very, who's very quintessential corporate Democrat. Who among of uh, uh, after a year and a half of like talking about foreign collusion, they found out she was working side by side with a Chinese spy for twenty years. And shit, man, that, yeah, that story went away real quickly. Yeah. I mean, imagine if Trump or even anybody uh, was working. I guess her driver and. Uh, office assistant ended up being a Chinese spy and they didn't realize it for over two decades. Um, but once they did, that story disappeared really, really quickly. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah. On that note, I want to say with the, cause it sounds like it's a lot of left support and hopefully there's some libertarian and stuff in there too. I guess here's my, if you, hopefully you guys are successful. Cause I always say to change the world, you have to change yourself and you have to start on a local level. So I respect you and appreciate you not only for coming on, but also for actually doing something as, as opposed to just talking about it and, and getting the ball rolling. I think that's important. So when it comes to say, say the bank passes, now this is a bunch of hypotheticals, but say it passes and say the agenda rolls out to start trying to help the community, maybe on a progressive lean because you know Los Angeles is Democrat. And I think the progressive wing has a lot more enthusiasm and support than the classic Democrats, whether they admit that or not. It's just true. And they try to fight it, but they got to compromise because they're losing both sides very, very quickly. And it's not good to see. We need a, you know, at least two, three, four party system maybe. But so I want to say if it does become progressive, how do you uh, reach out or, you know, I guess gain, gain the support of someone like me? I consider myself, I talk on my channel a lot. I was always left leaning. I still am big on the environment. I'm, I'm big on a lot of left leaning issues. But I find myself more and more libertarian as far as I just don't like a lot of the things that Bernie Sanders says or even Jimmy Dore says. And I, I like people like Jimmy Dore, Kyle Kalinske. I just don't like their policies personally. And I don't have to. But I find it, it it's a lot of talking and not a lot of things that make sense. For instance, they say universal health care and everyone will get it. But to me, that sounds like a singular government controlled one size fits all health care. Sounds horrible, anti-freedom and also very high in the pocket. And also a lot of things like Bernie will say, you know, like I was speaking earlier, we have to raise the taxes. We're going to take this money and put it towards that. But when you raise the taxes and raise small business rates, it only hurts the working class family. Although it, I know in theory it's supposed to hurt the corporation, but then a lot of them just move somewhere else where they can get the tax breaks or they can finesse their way out of it. So, you know, I'm pro, I'm all pro. I would love to clean the air. I would love to clean the water, but I, I find myself disenfranchised by the modern day left. So <laughs> if, if that's, I know you're bipartisan, but it sounds like that's the way it would go. How would you, you know, gain the support yeah. of someone like me is pretty practical. That's a good question, right? Because um, at the end of the day, you take a step back, right? 
and you and, and I'll, I'll, I'll go over some of the reasons why a conservative will like a public bank. Okay. First and foremost, you're paying taxes. And in, let me give you LA's example specifically, depending on the factors that you count and, and how much money is coming in and out uh, on a regular basis, the budget of Los Angeles is eight to $12 billion. Now we're paying $1.1 billion in interest. So that is an extra tax expense that we have to pay. Now, I, for one, as a hardworking, tax-paying citizen, don't want a bunch of middlemen, middlemen to extract my tax dollars out of my community. I want, to, I want the, us to be able to have control over that so that we can ha- save that money. Totally. Now, right? So that, that, there you go right there is you're saving tax dollars. Two, local determination. This has been a conservative talking point for the longest time. Right. If you look at uh, uh, local determination, this has been, uh, you know, cons- I think m- more than to than to liberals, to cons- conservatives have been a big proponent of this. And and because the economy is one of the most important things, because uh, it has it really has far reaching effects into everything else in society. If you have local determination or community and we want community members like neighborhood council members on the board of the bank to actually reflect what what their small business community needs right we want small business owners to have their voice heard at the bank right mm-hmm. then you have a so then you have a developing a local economy right so you have the, the, there's a different there's a there's a different level of capitalism i think between multinational corporations and then the mom and pop store in the local community right what the big banks support typically in in the scheme of things i mean they loan to everything but Really, they, they represent the, the kind of macro, bigger is better, multinational type of capitalism. Whereas what small public banking does is they, they aren't socialism because they're extending, the, 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 they own the means not of production, but they own the means of banking, which then can breathe life into the local capitalism by, by extending loans to the small businesses through, through community banks and credit unions. And this way, you're actually strengthening the local economy. And instead of helping board members and CEOs on Wall Street, you're helping small business owners on Main Street, right? So I have a question on that, too. So if this happened everywhere, say we spurred a movement so big that everywhere started getting public banks, would, um, would Wall Street be happy about this? And would the Federal Reserve co-sign it? Because I know you said you have to get a Federal Reserve number. Yeah. So would they be cool with it? Or no? Uh, well, you know, the, the, the Wall Street banks would not be happy of this, right? Because think about it, right? If we, if we, if one city takes away $1.1 billion of, of, of revenue from Wells Fargo, that's one city. Now imagine LA, New York, San Francisco, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so you create this chain reaction, which I will say explicitly right now, that is what we want. This is the revolution. People are wondering how to take take on the banks. This is it. So do we want not only every major state, but every uh, or in every city, but every major state to create their own public bank. So the banks wouldn't be happy. Uh, no, they would lose an incredible amount of money. I can't imagine, right? If one city can take away one point one billion dollars in revenue, imagine what dozens of cities can do. What what all fifty states would take away? Right? Would the Federal Reserve be upset, or would they be unaffected? Uh, you know, as far as I know, I can't, I can't say, I mean, because, because at the end of the day, it, from a legal standpoint, it, a, a number has to be created for certain legal technicalities to proceed. 
However, if you look at the Public Bank of North Dakota, they have a Federal Reserve number, um, but you know they're not they're still not giving that money to the private you know bankers at the same time. Does the Federal I, Reserve still control it? Because no. that's what, okay. It doesn't control it. You simply have a number, right? But what the, the control comes down. I'll, I'll give you kind of a little overview of actually the, the the vision of what we're really trying to create. Is is it's kind of like a federal system. It's a law has to be changed at the state level in Sacramento. Uh, to create, to actually hand out the banking license. It's going to be called a public banking license because right now there's a credit union license and a commercial bank license. There's no such thing as a public bank license. What's in that license will be, will, will be determined uh, by, you know, the, the people that like ourselves that go and campaign to create this and then the politicians that create it. And we're going to make sure we do it the right way. The vision is this, you have a general banking license that does not get to micromanaging it gives general guidelines that if you are to receive a public banking license in the state of California, if you're a municipality and you want to create your own public bank, you, there's going to be a few non-negotiables. You have to be transparent fully. You have to be accountable to the people fully. You have to take your local economy into consideration and you have to have, um, you have to, uh, have social good guidelines. So you can't do anything that's going to harm the community. Right. Now, if you have those general guidelines, then what you do is each city can create their own charters. And as long as it fund, uh, falls under that macro umbrella of those key things, then they can create their own charters to reflect their own economies and their own local values. Yeah, I, I guess. Okay. And I, I like that when it comes to people creating their own stuff, because I guess it's kind of like the, the social thing kind of reminds me of the tech companies with hate speech you know, to someone who hates the truth, the truth sounds like hate speech. And like, to me, you know, a lot of people that consider themselves now, you know, say a modern day liberal or social justice a activist, while I think their intention is very, very pure and I think their heart is on point, I find that their strategy actually really hurts people. So I, like if the, you know, and, and like you said, anywhere can control their own state, but I find that a lot of politicians here especially Democrats, but I'm not going to lie. I listened to two Republicans running for secretary of state and controller. It's straight embarrassing. I'm going to have to leave it blank because they're just like really pathetic nominees. I, I hate to say it. So I'm not really a big fan of either here, but you know, I, I understand people's idea, fear, yeah, people's but, idea of social justice and social ethics. Right. I, I find backwards sometimes. So let me, let me clarify, for example, right? I think that there's certain aspects of financial ethics that regardless of what side of the aisle you're on, it's common sense. For example, Wells Fargo was recently caught opening up multiple fraudulent accounts mm. in which they were unethically extracting funds from people unwittingly. They scammed yeah. me. I got, I got a little settlement because they opened a right. credit card in my name. Pretty messed right. up. Right. So would you agree then that, that it, it, it would fall under legitimate social good guidelines to prevent that type of behavior from occurring? Totally. I'm with you. I think it's That's disgusting that they did that and, and they get away with it. So it would, take, it would take power away from them. It would take a big burden away from them, regardless, even if the money got thrown into the street, which I, I doubt it would, but it wouldn't go to them. And it would right. so take money, power and control. Very, very interesting. So how close are you guys in, in LA? Because I feel like if anywhere is going to do it, it might be here first. So Right. So second. LA, yeah, on the ballot, November 6th, we have Charter Amendment B, also known as Measure B on the ballot. What this is, this is what it's going to do is if we get a yes vote on this and anybody, if, if you're, you know, cynical about voting and the system and, you know, you think you're too woke for that, I can appreciate that. 
This is a game changer, though, because you're actually transforming the banking system. So get out and vote if you're in L.A. for this. But Charter Amendment B, what it'll do is simply amend the charter, which currently states that the city may not engage in commercial enterprises. And it'll amend it to, to allow public banking as one exception to that rule. It does not create the bank. It does not mandate the bank. And even if we wanted to create the bank, what would have to happen after that is a feasibility study, a business plan, and then the lobbying at the state level to create the license. So there's a long way to go after this. All Charter Amendment B does is it opens the very, very first door to allow this conversation to continue. So a no on Charter Amendment B is saying, I want to keep it in Wall Street where it belongs, <laughs> basically. A yes on Charter Amendment B is saying, I am open to the possibility that we can create a better bank in Los Angeles and let's explore that further after a business plan. Wow. So best of luck. I'm going to give you one last statement. I want to say on a, on a global scale, first off, I made Make America Debate Again to get conversations like this flowing that I don't normally have time to, or in general, just the inspiration to do. Uh, worldwide, I think there's a revolution happening. I think there's a mental revolution. There's a physical health revolution. There's a spiritual revolution. And I think there's also a political revolution going on where people are starting to further dissect the system. I think for a long time, left or right, we've been under some sort of mind control spell where we haven't really questioned certain things. I know for me, I learned about superdelegates through the Bernie Sanders democratic process. And I was like, wow, hundreds of people who don't vote the way the people vote. And it's not on the Republican side because I grew up, I'm like, man, the Republicans are the worst. How come their system's better? Then I was like, I've learned so much over the last two years. I think people like Phoenix taking steps on a local level and people coming together to try to take the power away from the small, you know, that's that's a very conservative value, I believe, too, is that uh, getting the power to the people, spreading it out and not just concentrating it in one small area, whether it be a bank, whether it be a government that is maybe controlled in both parties. And we've seen for decades, really the ball not rolling on either side, because whether it went McCain or Obama, seemed like we were going to get the same wars, the same situation, and maybe even the same economics at the end of the day. So Thank you, Phoenix, for bringing this very rare perspective to my podcast, and I'll give you the last floor. Thank you for coming. Public Bank LA, please check it out. Look at his website, look at his stuff, and make your own decision. You know, whether you support it or you don't, it's always good to know about things like this happening. My man, Phoenix, take it. All right, so I'll just say this. It's a lot bigger than LA. This is about the paradigm shift, the paradigm shift with a capital P. I will... Uh, right here on the show for posterity on the internet say that I believe that there is going to be a major economic crisis in the future. I don't know how long it's going to be from now. I don't think too long, but how long they're going to kick the can down the road. We'll see. But mark my words, when that happens, the big banks are probably going to ask for us to bail them out again. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Last time in 08, because we were still very much in the old paradigm and just entering this new one, we didn't have the consciousness around to figure out what to do with that. Mm -hmm. So we let the masters, the, the, the treasury secretary that was from uh, Goldman Sachs and, and all the cronies on wall street, uh, create a deal to resuscitate them and use our tax dollars to bail them out and to continue that, that, uh, that system. We now are in a new era and we're, whereas public banking didn't really, exist in the public consciousness that much only a year or two ago mm. our goal is to make it so that it is proliferated across the united states as the vision of thomas jefferson was to to take on the 
the hegemony of private money, uh, private banking. We want to create the revolution where every city across the United States, every state across the United States fights to create its own public banking system. And when that narrative is fully in the consciousness of the masses, we will have reached a new paradigm and then Wall Street's days will be numbered as it stands. And, and at that point, we will have an economy that is of, by, and for the people. And we're going to re re reach a new era that way. So you saw it today. In the future, public banking is the revolution. Wow. Some powerful words by Phoenix. Thank you for being on. And we will see what happens. I don't think anybody wants the economy to crash. And when it does, I don't think anybody really wants to pay for it. You know, we did that last time. I got scammed by Wells Fargo in the last couple of years. Uh, you know, hopefully not again. Thank you so much for Phoenix. Check out Public Bank LA and stay tuned for our next episode of Make America Debate Again.